You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church, Salt Lake City. For more information on our church, go to c3saltlakecity.com. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Vince. And hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Welcome to church. Well, look, not only are you worth investing into, I, I couldn't wait to get here, to be, to be honest with you. It's been 11 months since Jürgen and I, uh, was, since I was here. 11 months was when we officially prayed over you guys and installed you as the campus pastors here and you became a C3 church. And I just want you to know we're so proud of you. Um, whenever we speak about you in our campuses in San Diego and then even around the world, people are so excited to have Salt Lake cousins. So um, welcome to the family officially and I'm excited to be here with you today. Thank you guys, you did amazing as always. Kelsey and the team, man you've grown and really just like gone to a whole nother level since I was here 11 months ago. And we got someone over there in the dunk tank Every time I see that, it looks like a dunk tank at a, at a carnival. Isn't that true? Yeah, but it's so cool. And where's, is it Lilo? Lilo. You're amazing. Okay. Amazing. Whenever I see Islanders, it just makes me happy. Every time. You know, we have no Islanders in San Diego. You are the first Islander in the C3 church. I... I feel like I'm living my best life today. I'm winning, winning. We are winning. Yeah, and he's, from, and he's from Auckland. I spent seven years in Auckland. Although, Lilo, I'm more legit than you because, let me tell you why, because you were from the North Shore, which is kind of la-di-da. I was from South Auckland, like literally the hood, y'all. So I may look like I, I couldn't beat you in a fight, but I could because I spent seven years in South Auckland. <laughs> oh, it's so great to be here. We're going to have a fun morning. Jesus has something he wants to say to you today. And um, thank you for that beautiful welcome, Vince. And I want to take this moment to say publicly um, how, how proud of you and Becca we are. You're phenomenal leaders. Phenomenal leaders. So grateful for you. But even more than that, I, I think... You know, leadership is great, but every person needs a great pastor. And you guys are great pastors. And that's the most important thing to Jürgen and I. Shepherds. And I really hope that your experience at C3 Church here in Salt Lake is that you find a place where you can flourish and be loved and be shepherded. You know, Jesus actually never called himself leader, but he always called himself shepherd. And I reckon there's going to become a return of the shepherds to the church people who truly steward and look after God's most precious possession, his children, well again. And really, that's the basis of what C3 San Diego is based on and now C3 Salt Lake City. And girls, I'm super pumped about Cherish. And I want to just, I want to double down on what Pastor Becca said, because what we're going to do in uh, at this Cherish night is really put a stake in the ground where women are valued. When I came to America uh, almost 14 years ago, I was astounded 
at how women were viewed and treated in many churches across this nation. In a land that was so liberated in so many areas, it's like the voice and value and worth of a woman was not expressed correctly. And, and it was quite shocking to me because I always saw America as, you know, this incredible land that was, you know, equal and, and equal opportunity. And then all of a sudden you come in the church and you met with this religiosity and this legalism. And let me just say to you today, I, I'm not here because I grabbed the microphone and, you know, was, am up here because of my own volition. My husband sent me here because he knows that every healthy family has the voice of both a father and a mother. Can you imagine if you didn't have a mother's voice in your life? Now, I'm not trying to be the dad. I don't want to be the dad. I've got no interest in that. But I'm really happy and comfortable in standing in my authority as the mother. And I'm going to bring a mother's heart and a mother's voice. And I have absolute assurance and security in saying it's a voice you need to hear. So I want you to register for Cherish, ladies. It's literally, what is it, $10 for you? But I would say, let's go a step further. I wanted to make, I wanted to make it easy for you to invite your friends. So these nights are all about celebration. It's not like, let's get down deep in the Bible and do some teaching and remind you how you need to be submitted and quiet and wear, and wear little house in the prairie dresses lest any man should stumble and... Walk around looking like you're holier than thou, baptized in vinegar like you've lost your last friend. No. <laughs> no, we're going to celebrate together. You know, I think, I, I honestly believe that God is wanting to redeem female relationships. And what I've noticed, and maybe you have too, is that nobody can be as mean to, an, to a woman as another woman. Sometimes we can be downright horrible to each other. And I think God wants to reverse that. Healthy friendships, not competitive, but friendships where we spur one another along. And I just know you're going to love Cherish Night. We're going to have so much fun. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. All right. So we're going to get into the message this morning. I suppose it's futile for me to ask for anybody to turn the house lights up because it's impossible, right? I hate not being able to see your faces. There you are. Is there people out there? There you are. <laughs> I like to see. I like to see you because I came for you. Anyway, I'll just, I'll just assume there's a whole bunch of people out there. All right. Look, the title of my message today, and we're in our religion rehab series, which I'm so excited about. Oh, look at that. We, we did let there be light, and light was. Okay. Um, and, and I'm super pumped about this because I know, like many of you, I was raised in a religious church, and I was raised in a high Anglican church in Australia. Now, look, most of the people in that church were Christians. They had a genuine relationship with Jesus. But definitely, the inference was on works. And I remember spending so much of my childhood feeling like God didn't like me. And I was actually pretty likable. So how wicked that a young girl at six thinks that God doesn't like her, that there is something intrinsically wrong with her. You know, I got saved at 12. I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of 12. But it was kind of a journey getting to the place where I no longer lived from a place of, oh my gosh, I have to work really hard to please God. But knowing that I gave God pleasure just by my pure existence. 
at 22 years of age. I'd already been in ministry for five years. And let me tell you, it's pretty easy to hide out in ministry. <laughs> There's a lot of dysfunctional ministers. But thank God for the ones that are healthy. And you've got healthy pastors here. But at 22 years of age, my husband and I were in ministry for five years. Uh, we went through a really difficult season. And I realized that my modus operandi needed changing. See, I was constantly comparing myself to other people. And of course, whenever you do that, you always come up short. And so I just had this terrible view about myself and unfairly comparing myself to others. Then I had expectations on others that weren't fulfilled. So I was like not only hating myself, I didn't like other people. And here I was trying to be a minister. And I was at a, a, church, a church meeting where my husband was being ordained into the Assemblies of God movement in New Zealand. And we were away from, from our home and staying in a hotel and they had this big flash ceremony where all the ministers who were getting ordained stood up on stage and they were prayed for and, you know, a big fuss was made and they had their photos taken and Jürgen and I walked on stage as he was uh, formally inducted into the Assemblies of God movement and we shook hands and had our photo taken and I bought a new suit for the occasion and then I went and sat down. So my husband was an official AOG pastor. And then they got up a minister to speak at this ordination ceremony. And this minister was from the US. So there's a bit of a difference between Kiwis and Aussies and Americans in that when Americans are born, it's like they're born so confident. Like, here I am, I'm gonna take over the world. I'm gonna be president of the United States. Well, this is at least how Australians view Americans. Like you have this innate confidence, whereas Australians and Kiwis are born, like they come out of the womb apologizing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? And so there was this American preacher and he gets up on stage and he just has this confidence. And he says, you know, God spoke to me and said that there are people here and you're far from God. You've been living off a, of a gospel of works and God wants to bring you into relationship again. And you're bitter and you're disillusioned and you've been striving and you've been performing. And he starts to give like essentially this salvation altar call at a pastoral ordination. I mean, the inference would be if you're going to prepare a message for a pastoral ordination, it wouldn't be a salvation message. The assumption is everybody's saved. But how beautiful is God? He knew there was a little girl who was entangled in religion that needed to be set free, sitting in that building, because the Bible says that he is committed to completing the good work he starts in us. And so he saw me and he saw the future and he said, I'm going to have a divine appointment with her at her husband's ordination. And this, this guy sent out this word, like, I believe there's someone here. And of course, nobody's moving because everybody's thinking this American guy's missed it. He's preaching the wrong word. You didn't hear from God. And, but I just knew that that word was for me. And then he asked, asked us to do something bold. He said, if you're here today and that message is for you, I want you to come down the front and I want you to surrender your heart and your life to the Lord. He wants you. Not your works, not your traditions, not your striving, not your driving. He wants you. And I just knew it was a word for me. I remember standing up. And just to, to give you full context, I was wearing a bright white suit. 
There was nothing subtle about my outfit. You could have seen me from the moon. Not only that, I was just on stage with my husband as he was ordained as Assemblies of God pastor. And so I'm hearing this word and everything in me didn't want to respond. I feel so exposed, but I just knew it was the word for me. And so I got up in my blindingly bright white suit. And for those of you who have met my husband, you know that he is, is not afraid of man and he never gets embarrassed. And, but it, at this occasion, I'm telling you, it was the first time he was more embarrassed of me than I've ever been of him. <laughs> and I start to move and I'm in this white, and his, white suit and his hand just comes out like, Leanne, Leanne, where, where are you going? I, I'll pray for you at home. Like, I'll even re-baptize you in the bathtub. Come back. But I just knew it was a divine moment for me. And I, I walked forward and I truly surrendered my heart to God. I let go of all my religious tradition and all the bitterness I had in my heart towards God and people and the church. And I just truly surrendered my life to Jesus. And you're going to find at, at our church, at C3 Church, that we're going to be continually uh, leading you toward a relationship with Jesus. See, religion will rob you. It will tell you you need to do all these kinds of things in order to give God pleasure, to be right with God. But the beautiful thing is God sent Jesus to make things right because we couldn't. And so today we're going to talk about losing our religion. Beautiful. Thank you. That's some, that was perfect timing. I appreciate that. That was an angelic chorus at the right time. So I want to start by reading this scripture found in Galatians. I just want to send out the word and I want to let it do its work in you. So I just want you to really listen, not listening so much with your ears, but listening with your heart, listening with your spirit. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 3. What has happened to you, Galatians, to be acting so foolishly? You must have been under some evil spell. Didn't God open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Wasn't he revealed to you as the crucified one? And let's stop there for a second, because a lot of you have been crucifying yourselves. You've been putting yourself on the cross, but Jesus has already hung for you. So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No. I love that. He just gets right to business. You received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. You believed in Jesus. Your new life in the anointed one began with the Holy Spirit giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish by your own works? Have you endured all these trials and persecutions for nothing? Let me ask you again, what does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through the revelation and power of faith, not by keeping the law. I reckon that's a shouting point right there. I want you to give God a shout of praise and a hand clap. And you may not be receiving it right now, but you're receiving it into your heart. And I believe that it's going to start to begin a new work in your heart and in your life.
there are a couple of things that I want to break down. I want to break down three myths and I want to bring three truths. Here's the first one. Here's point number one. Get ready. It's very, very profound. And I would encourage you. We're the kind of church where we bring a Bible and a notepad. And I, I do kind of get judgy on that. There's a couple of things I judge on. Eh? i got to tell you I judge a bit on that. So if you have a phone, pull it out. Let's take some notes because we have a Bible today because somebody wrote stuff down. Yeah. And, and while I know what I'm going to bring to you today is perfect, and it's not because I'm speaking it, it's the Word of God. And I'm going to bring a great seed straight from the Word of God, but you're responsible for the soil that it hits. I can't, I can't change the soil of your heart. So you've got to come with an open heart, not what is this woman doing? She needs to prove to me that she's worthy to listen to. No, lean in. The Bible says, listen, he who has ears to hear, if you have ears today, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The first point, write it down, tattoo it on your arm if you need to. Ready? God likes you. God likes you. You know, as I said, when I grew up as a young girl, I had this intrinsic belief that somehow God didn't like me. I was evil. I remember as a young girl having such a cheeky, mischievous personality and we had um, a, f- a family friend come over and uh, they had a little son who we used to play with in the sandbox. And it was like I just had this cheeky, mischievous way about me. Every time we'd be in the sandbox together, it was like I was compelled. I could not stop myself. I'd have to tip sand on his head. And every time he would tell on me, he would run to his mother and say, Leanne, tip sand on my hand. And I'd get spanked and then that would be it. We'd continue playing. And this little friend was coming over again. And my mum said to me, Leanne, when Ben comes over, you are not allowed to tip sand on his head. I'm like bracing myself thinking, I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. And we were out sitting in the sand pit. And sure enough, Ben's sitting there, and it was like I was just compelled by, a, by another worldly force. And I just looked at him and I said, Ben, um, I need to tell you that I have to tip sand on your head. And he's like, okay, I just need to tell you, you can do that. But then I'm going to tell on you and you will get spanked. I'm like, it's a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> I picked up the sand and I tipped it on his head and it would just felt so cathetic, like, yes. And of course I got spanked. And, but I, I, re, I, I remember that story with such affection now because, you know, back then I used to just think I was such a naughty, mischievous girl and I wasn't. I was such a good girl. And I reckon God looked down from heaven and he looked down and he went, oh my gosh, I like her. Yeah. Yeah. I like her sparkle. I like her cheekiness. Who has lied to you about how God feels about you. You know, religion will try to suffocate what God wants to let shine. What does the Bible say in Matthew chapter 5? Let your light shine. Do you know you've got a light? Religion, and when when I'm talking about religion, I'm talking about a false sense of trying to achieve what Jesus already gave us, will try to suffocate. We all need to become the same. You know the beauty of the Christian faith? There's no uniform. You don't need to wear a robe. You don't need to wear an orange onesie and hand out stuff at the airport. You just, you get to rock on with your bad self. You can wear, what do you like? And I would hate it if we tried to peddle a faith and a Christianity that denied the fact that God made each of us individual. To me, that is an egregious error. 
I walked into a coffee shop the other day in San Diego and I looked at a table. It was full of about 10 men and I could immediately tell they were all worship leaders. <laughs> immediately. Like the skinny jeans, the, the, the shoes without socks, the deep V-neck, the little hat, the glasses they wore that they didn't need for seeing, the, the tattoo on the arm that said freedom in Hebrew, the necklace of, of the key. I'm like, you cannot all like that. Surely not all of you. And I would hate for sameness to creep into the church. God likes you. I remember trying to control my husband as a young wife. Like every wife will want to do. But I got to ask you this question, ladies. Do you want to be married to a competent man that knows how to think for himself or an overgrown child? (laughs) Yes, that's right. The first one. (laughs) And I would lay out his clothes like he was a toddler because he couldn't be trusted. See, because if you know my husband, he has a flamboyant personality. He walks into, I, when I walk into a store, I go straight to the black, the white, the gray, or the beige. That, but, but that's me. I like that. Like, this is a big deal, you guys. <laughs> Color. Wow. But my husband walks in. He walks past the, the black, the white, the gray, and the beige and goes straight to the fluorescent colors with the big lion on the front with bejeweled eyes that's roaring. Okay. And then he'll pair that. No, no, not with subtle pants with like checkered pants, red shoes, and a top hat. He's like, bring it on. Get ready, world. And you know, I used to try to make, but just look like everybody else. And I felt the Lord say, now you stop it. I like him. I like that he's unafraid. I wonder what would happen if you let your light shine. If you felt free to be you, the Jesus, the person Jesus made you to be. See, here's the thing. Many of us believe, or, or, or we'll even preach, or we've even heard, come to Jesus because he wants to change you. Oh, he wants to get his hands on that horrible mess of a you. Do you know that God didn't make a mistake the first time he made you? And listen, there's a thing called discipleship, absolutely, but God doesn't want to change us so much as he wants to wash us. Wash away all the labels. Wash away all those sticky words that have been spoken that have diminished and dulled the sparkle of the real you. The things that mum and dad spoke that hit and lingered long after the words were gone. The things that that teacher said, that spouse said, the things that that brother or sister said. I'm telling you, we are wounded usually by those closest to us. And then we carry that residue into our life and it misshapes the way we see ourselves and it misshapes the way we think God sees us. God doesn't want to change you so much as he wants to wash you. And if you think I'm speaking heresy, let me give you a scripture to back it up. In Ezekiel chapter 36, this is Ezekiel the prophet, he speaks on behalf of God. He says this, I will... Sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean from all your idols, all the things that you've bowed your knee to over me, the opinions of men, the words that other people have spoken to you, your misrepresentations of who God is and who you are, and everything else that has defiled you. God's not angry with you. He doesn't want to get his hands on you to change you. He wants to get his hands on you so he can undefile you, wash you clean from what the world has done. 
I will give you a new heart and a new mind. I will show you who you truly are and who I truly am. I will take away your stubborn heart of stone and give you an obedient heart. God doesn't want to change you, my friends. He wants to wash you. At C3 Salt Lake City, we're going to help you get washed with the water of the word. And you're going to discover who you really are. And the world would say, I need to find myself. I need to find myself. You're not lost. You don't need to find yourself. You need to find God because he will reveal to you who you truly are. In the book of Genesis, we see a story by, uh, of a man by the name of Jacob. And his parents labeled him Jacob, cheater, usurper, deceiver. Some people should not be allowed to name their children. <laughs> no, you are not allowed to. So, so he's born and as he's born, he stretches out his hand and he grabs the heel of his brother. And immediately they label him. You're a cheat. You're a usurper. You're a deceiver. And so many of us have had labels thrown on us in our childhood. And they've stuck and they've shaped who we've become. And of course, then Jacob grows up and guess what? He's a cheat. He's a usurper. A usurper. He's a deceiver. But then he wrestles with God. And some of you here at church, you're going to wrestle with God and he's going to show you who you really are. Your parents mislabeled you, Jacob. Isaac and Rebecca didn't know what the heck they were doing. I'm going to tell you who you really are. You're not cheat, usurper, deceiver. You're Israel. You're leader. See, they mislabeled his hand coming out like this as deceiver, usurper, cheat. God says, no, I call you leader. Some of you have been misappropriated and mislabeled and then you've lived up to that mislabeling and God wants to wash you today and show you who you truly are because God likes you. He likes you. He smiles when he thinks about you. I wonder how much more you'd smile if you liked you. You know, the greatest weapon we have in winning this city for Jesus and overcoming the kingdom of darkness is not our theology, it's our smile. Yeah, I, I, I read a meme once. I'm a big meme fan. It said this. It said, if you've got Jesus in your heart, remind your face. I'm like, so we need to write that somewhere in the Bible because there's some miserable Christians out there. You really think you're going to win people? Look, walking around, life, uh, no. Put a smile on your face. God likes you. Oh, my gosh. Any wrath he had towards sin, he poured out on his son so we could look at you with a smile. Oh, come on. You're going to receive it today. <laughs> the second point. How are we going for time up there? 17 minutes. God wants you to enjoy your life. Selah. Let's pause and think about that. How many times have we been spoken to like the Christian life is a suffering and a struggle? And God will send fiery serpents if you so much as complain about your lot in life. No, that was the Old Testament. <laughs> God wants you to enjoy your life. So Jesus came in a time in history when people's perceptions of God were so warped. So much so, one of the first sermons or messages that he spoke to people in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he had to say to, to all the crowds gathered, who amongst you? If your son asked you for uh, some bread, would give him a stone. 
Who amongst you, if your son asked you for, for fish, would give him a snake? How warped must their thinking have been around who God was and what he wants to give them if Jesus had to use this extremely blatant analogy? Like, what the heck did they believe about God? The Pharisees and Sadducees, pun intended, did a terrible job at representing God. So God God had to send Jesus. He's like, Jesus, you're going to have to go down there because they're giving love a bad name, right? So he had to come down and say, this is who I truly am. And many of you want to know who is God. He's just look at his son. He sent Jesus. The disciples said, show us the father. And Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What is God like? Look at his son. That's what God's like. Gracious, loving, long-suffering, kind, fun. He turned water into wine. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And here we have churches all over wanting to turn it back into water. Like, what, what in the world? When Jürgen and I, now, now just so we can be clear before somebody takes one soundbite and matches us with another and then sends me into some kind of like cyberspace viral place, we are not condoning drunkenness or underage drinking of any kind. But I'm also not going to teach you to do things that the Bible doesn't command of you. That's what religion does. It asks you to do things that God has never asked of you. Okay, so Jesus comes into a time in, in history where everybody who represents God is a miser. And he goes to a wedding and he turns water into wine. When Pastor Jürgen and I first came to San Diego, and look, we're, we're not big drinkers, but we're adults. We may have a glass of wine or two with a meal with friends. There's no drunkenness, there's no debauchery, there's no excess, there's beautiful self-control. And let me tell you, if anybody deserves a drink, it's the pastor. Yeah, glory, hallelujah. I have no guilt in sipping that Merlot, my friends, none whatsoever. And, and this particular pastor in our town said, one teaspoon of alcohol is enough to send you to hell. I'm thinking, what Bible are you reading? It was Jesus' first miracle. If you're going to do anything first, like raise the dead, cleanse the leper, heal the blind, but he turned water into wine. What is this saying? It's a picture of what he wants to do with your life. Take the ordinary, the boring, the mundane, and make it over the top. Awesome. God wants you to enjoy your life. Now again, if you don't believe me, I got a scripture to back it up. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 says this, The Holy Spirit, who is God, has explicitly revealed, At the end of this age, many will depart from the true faith, one after another, devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired revelations and theories. Hypocritical liars will deceive many, and their consciences won't bother them at all. They will require celibacy, and dietary restrictions that God doesn't expect. For he created all foods to be received with the celebration of faith by those who fully know the truth. We know that all creation is beautiful to God, and there is nothing to be refused if it is received with gratitude. All that we eat is made sacred by the word of God and prayer. It's so beautiful. So much so God gave Peter a vision in the book of Acts 
after they've been told, here are all these rules around eating and drinking. God is so committed to us having a full and abundant life. The Bible says in John 10.10, it is the thief that has come to steal, kill and destroy. And how many of us have wrongly ascribed thievery and stealing fun to God instead of the true culprit, which is the enemy. And then Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. So Peter has a dream and God like levitates down a picnic blanket with all the formerly forbidden foods. And Peter puts up his little crucifix sign and says, no, God, this is unclean. This is unclean. And then God rebukes him and says, do not call unclean what I have called holy. I wonder if you're living under a religious blanket today and God wants to set you free. God wants you to enjoy your life. It is his good pleasure that you have a life that you enjoy. Not a life. Listen, there will be days where we suffer and we struggle. But by and large, God wants you to have a life that is a testament to the world around us. God's kids are well looked after. I remember going to the Dream Center in Los Angeles. It was a particular night when a whole bunch of people had come in from churches all over. And Jürgen and I had just moved to America. And I was standing up front in a service like this. And I was jumping up and down during the worship, having a great time. Like, I love my life and I love my Jesus. And afterwards, a woman from another church came up and she said, I have a prophetic word for you. And straight away, I was like, pumped. You don't want a prophetic word. Bring it on. And so I said, okay. And I put out my hands. And she said, you know, the Lord just wants, to tell me, wants, you, wants me to tell you that he's not pleased with the way that you conduct yourself. That the way you dress and the way you act, you cause men to stumble. You know, Straight away, I knew that was a religious spirit. But how sad if I was less mature and more vulnerable and I let that wickedness grab a hold of the dial on the inside of my heart and set a new atmosphere. And I dropped her hand straight away and I walked away. And I thought, you know what? I do not receive that. No, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. And that's what a spirit of religion will do. My life sucks, so I want your life to suck too. I'm miserable, so I want everybody around me to be miserable. You know the thing? Many of you may have come to this church from other churches that are maybe a a little bit legalistic and they have a whole bunch of rules about what you can and can't do that are above the Ten Commandments that Jesus gave us. Okay, if it's any more than that, no, it's not God-sanctioned, God it's man-sanctioned. And, and she used to come from, from the, there was a woman who came from another church and she hated the church she came from and maybe you've come from another church that, you know, you were escaping legalism. Don't try to turn us into them. Because, see, God, here's what happens. He wants to fill you with new wine, but you're responsible for the skin. Okay, you're, you're desperate for new wine. Get me to that C3 church. It's life-giving. It's, it's fun, but it's holy. It's, it's full of people of faith, and they're going to love life together, and they're there for one another. But then the temptation will be, but I'm going to bring my baggage from my other church where, hey, like, if, unless you're side-hugging, you're in error. All these, all these rules and regulations, and so we had... That God never requires of us. We had a woman come and she came to the church and she used to walk around like a mother hen. 
judging all the women, and that was way too much cleavage for church. I know God created you, but he made a mistake. Yikes. And uh, we actually had to have a word to her and say, we're not going to let you hold or be in charge of the dial, the atmosphere in our church. You need to stop that. This spirit is like, you know what, we're going to judge people before they have a chance to receive Jesus. Do you know that there's only one scripture in the Bible that talks about how people should dress, a woman should dress? It's simply this, Paul speaking to Timothy, saying, you know what, women should dress in a way that they're respectful to themselves and others. That's all they've said. Nothing else. I only add one rule to that, one on top. Dress for the body you have, not the body you want. I reckon if we all did that, the world would be a much better place. Don't be squeezing that body into a, yep, you know what, just uh, make sure. But Jesus came into a culture where they were repressing women and, and they were asking him about, you know, like if a man divorces his wife, you know, like what do you say about that? He said, I've got to tell you the truth. Whoever looks at a woman to lust has committed adultery in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You know what he didn't say? If the way the woman dresses causes you to sin, cover her up. Cover her up in a burqa. Never says that. He's all about personal responsibility. How are you going to function in a world that is not saved and doesn't know Jesus if you're going to fall apart every time you see someone in a bikini? We, we better not try to turn Christianity into a more sanctioned version of Islam. We've got to be really, really careful. Jesus said very clearly, if your eye causes you to sin, deal with your eye, personal responsibility. We don't throw a robe on the woman. We say we deal with our eye. I look at every woman as a sister in the Lord and I honor her like all of heaven honors her. I love her as a daughter of the Lord. True for the women, true for the men. I know there are a lot of cougars out there. We've got to make sure we're respecting one another. The striving to be good as I come to a close. Do you know that when uh, you were saved, because you couldn't purchase your own righteousness, it was impossible. So God sent Jesus on a rescue mission for you, for your life. He knew we couldn't be righteous in our own strength, so he made an exchange I'm going to give you my robe of righteousness and in change I'm going to take your filthy robes, the the robes that have been messed up through sin and dysfunction and sticky words and the residue of living in a fallen world. I'm going to take that on me and I'm going to give you a righteous robe. We couldn't fix it. God had to fix it for us. But here's the beautiful thing. A lot of us are trying to be good, but we have the seeds the evidence of the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Do you know what happens when you get saved? The Bible says when you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. And this is the message that Paul had to to bring to the Galatian church. He was saved by faith, but then regressed into works. He said, when you were saved, the Holy Spirit moved in. And the Holy Spirit is such a gentleman. When He comes into your house, into your temple, He doesn't come empty-handed. He comes with a fruit basket, the fruits of the Spirit. And you know, may not feel them today, you may not see them in your life, but they're there all the same. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'm telling you, they're already in you. So many of us are trying to be holy. I'm trying so hard to be holy. You already are. It's in there. Stop doing, start being. The fruit of the Spirit is in you. Love is in you. Peace is in you. Those of you today that are struggling maybe with anger, man, I used to be, I'm a reformed psychotic wife. And I say that every woman is at least 10% psycho. And every man is at least 10% jerk. Ain't that the truth? But I used to make my husband's life miserable in the early years of our marriage. And it got to the point where he just about despised me. And I felt the Lord come to me and say, Leanne, relax. Because I'd beat myself up every time. Why am I such a maniac? And he said, Leanne, you're not a maniac. The seeds of self-control are inside, on the inside of you. You just got to call forth the right thing. Everything changed. I wonder what fruit of the Spirit in your life today you need to access. What do you need to access today? You've been beating yourself up, but you don't realize that the solution lays within you. It was God's gift when you were born again. And for those of you who aren't born again, we're going to give you an opportunity to surrender your lives to Christ and not join a religion, but join at the family of God and have a relationship with your Creator. The final point is that God loves you. God loves you. He loves you so much. And here's how God spells love. Commitment. See, the world is really, really good at piping off about what they think love is, but they don't have a freaking clue. They do not have a clue. They put it like a hashtag. Oh, my gosh, love you. No, you don't. Those housewives that are telling each other that they love one another are stabbing each other in the back five seconds later. Real love, real God love is spelled commitment. What is love poured out to you? Not just a feeling, a, fuff, a fluffy feeling, a pink heart emoji. It's commitment. God is committed to you. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, not principality, not power, not things present, nor things to come, not angels, nor demons. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And some of us need to get a revelation of that today because we don't feel like God loves us because of what we did or what we're doing or what we've done. I want to tell you as I come to a close about my sister Janine. I grew up in a family, a Christian family, and I told you a little bit about my story. But my sister Janine, she was... I guess if you were to put this worldly label on her, from the outside, people would have seen her as the black sheep. She rebelled. She moved to America. She got a scholarship to a university in Miami. Halfway through the year of her university degree, she decided to go to Columbia. Not a smart move. She's not saved at this point. She doesn't know if she believes in God. She's dabbling in all kinds of religions. She, she hooks up with a, a really motley crew of people in Columbia who were running drugs. So she's, she's this girl from Australia in this extremely volatile and dangerous situation. One night she's had too much to drink. She's inebriated. And she uh, receives a lift home from a person that she's only met, just met. And this guy is, is driving her back to the place where she was staying. And halfway through he stops. He stops the car. He pulls to the side. He says, we're in the middle of nowhere. If, if you, right now I can do anything to you and you wouldn't be able to stop me. And if you scream, there'll be no one here to hear you. And he reached over to grab her. 
She stumbled out of the car again. She's inebriated. She's not in her right mind. She starts running through the jungles of Colombia. At this exact moment, my parents in Australia are asleep, like in deep sleep, and God wakes them up and says, pray for Janine, pray for Janine. They start to pray for Janine. My mum and dad are believers. And they prayed and prayed and prayed until peace came. They didn't know what was happening on the other side of the world. Peace came. They went back to bed. Later, we found out as the story is as she was being pursued through the jungle, hearing the breath of the man who had evil intent toward her behind her, she stumbled out onto a road in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, onto a road. As she stumbled onto the road, a truck came. She saw the lights of a truck and a guy stuck his head out of the window and said in perfect English in Colombia, hey, are you okay? Do you need any help? She jumped in the truck, he drove her to a home and stayed there at the front with her and the rest of the girls for the rest of the night to make sure they were okay. God intervened. But many of us would say, well, well, did she deserve it? She was away from God. She was drunk. She was hanging around immoral people, drug dealers. I want to say to you again, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Jesus paid the price for your sin. David said, even though I make my bed in hell, behold, your presence is with me. I want to dispel a myth today. God loves you. It was never about what you did. If it was, we'd all be condemned. That's why God sent Jesus. The cross is a sign that the debt has been canceled. It's a sign that every obstacle between you and the Father, the debt is paid. I want to dispel that myth today because religion has had too strong a hold over this part of America for too long. But I prophesy today in the name of Jesus, it's coming down. It's coming down. It's coming down. It's coming down. God likes you. God wants you to enjoy your life. And God loves you. For God so loved the world. For God so valued you. For God is so committed to you even in the midst of your mess and your dysfunction and your questions and your confusion. God is not afraid of mess. He's not a germaphobe. Oh, he sees a mess. He's like, oh, let me get in there. I'm the best cleaner in town. I know how to wash things better than anyone else and restore them to brand new. God is not in the renovation business. He's in the restoration business. And you're going to be restored into the person that he always intended and destined you to be. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever, that's you, it's me, that believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love John 3, 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. If you're feeling condemnation, it's not coming from God. It's coming from the other guy. But that through Him, the world might be saved. Every head bowed, every set of eyes closed. Today, there are two types of people in the room. There are some, and you've never given your life to God. You're hearing this message for the first time. And God is is looking for you. He's searching for, for you, like he, he found you today in this place. He, he's chosen you. Now it's time for you to choose him. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. God is a relational God. When God put us together, the Bible says that God formed man. It was a personal action. God formed man from the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. God wants to make you alive again. 
He wants to breathe His life into you again. He wants you to live a life of enjoyment again, knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're liked, knowing you have a future and a hope. What are the thoughts that God thinks, to, thinks toward you? Good thoughts, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Today, some of you have never given your life to the Lord and it's time to do that today. I'd love it if you'd lift your hand up in this private moment so I can see who you are and we'll pray a prayer together. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I see that hand, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I see that hand, praise God. Is there anyone else today? That's two people that have raised their hand. Is there anyone else? Yes, I'm so proud of you, sir. Ma'am, up the back there, I see your hand, beautiful. Is that another hand up there? Yeah, I see it. Yes, the man in blue. I see your hand. Now listen to me today. Maybe you were like me and you were raised in church and you heard a whole lot about God, but the God that you were introduced to was a God that was angry and spiteful and punitive and just bought, offered rules and regulations. But, but God wants to introduce himself to you, reintroduce himself to you again today, the proper version of him. So maybe you made this commitment at some point, or maybe you've taken your life back and you've been far from God. It's time for you to surrender again to the Lord, like I did at my husband's ordination ceremony. It's never going to get more embarrassing than that, friends. So if that's you, lift your hand up nice and high. I'd love to pray with you as well. You've been in church. I see this hand. Wonderful. I see that hand. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Another two people. So far, five or six. Yep, there we go. Seven people have raised their hands. This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm hoping that my friends up there saw everyone who raised their hands. Did you guys see? Is that what we do? Yep, excellent. I'd love it. If every person would stand, I'm going to pray right now over everyone. For those of you who raised your hand, I'm gonna, we're going to pray a prayer. I want you to really repeat this after me. And then at the conclusion of the service, someone is going to come find you. Someone who, who we know and we trust, a good person. They're going to give you a Bible. They're going to pray with you because we want to help you. Because this is not the end. It's just the beginning. And you're now part of the family of God. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Everybody loudly and clearly together. Dear Jesus... I accept your gift of salvation. I thank you that you so loved me. And I thank you that you like me. And I thank you that you want me to enjoy my life. I surrender you to, to you today. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my rebellion. I accept your salvation. I accept your forgiveness. And I declare today that I am born again. I am a Christian. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. What a joy it has been to be with you. Listen, that is the pure gospel today. If you need to get a hold of that message and give it to somebody, go ahead and do it. But we're going to preach life. We're going to preach truth. And we are committed to you. We're going to bring great deliverance and transformation to you, your families, and this entire city. God so loved Salt Lake. <laughs> so loved Salt Lake. God bless you, beautiful people. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Salt Lake City, go to c3saltlakecity.com. Thank you.